The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Building Healthier Relationships podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. So the child will align themselves to the narcissist through fear um, because the narcissist's love is, uh, is conditional. Um, so the child will learn that, you know, if I disappoint mummy or daddy, then you know, I'm not going to get their love. So they're more likely to uh, project their angry feelings into the non-narcissistic parent. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of Building Healthier Relationships podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Nick Carey. He's a systemic psychotherapist specializing in narcissistic abuse and codependency recovery. Nick is the founder and director of NARC and Co. Specialist Mentoring Service for Narcissistic Abuse. Do you know why narcissists are attracted to codependence? Are you wondering if you have a narcissistic sibling? Do you want to know how you can protect your child's development from their narcissistic parent? Do you know what the narcissistic injury is and why it is so destabilizing for a narcissist? Do you know why it is so common for a codependent to stay in a narcissistic relationship for so long? If you can relate to any of these questions, then this episode is for you, because Nick Carey will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi Nick, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to speak with you again. Hi, Juliana. Nice to meet you again. Okay, let's get started with the questions right away. And the question number one is, why are narcissists attracted to codependence? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that um, narcissists are particularly uh, overtly attracted to, to uh, codependence. Um, I think it's more about the longevity of the relationship. Um so, you know, I think a narcissist would, uh, the initial phases of the relationship would, would test, you know, the other person's uh, boundaries, would test what they can get away with, would push them into situations um, where they might get some supply. Um, mm. So I think, I'm not sure if they're kind of attracted to them per se, but obviously what happens is with the codependent is that the codependent will be quite eager to provide supply for the narcissist. So, you know, I often sort of think about it. I think Sam Vaknin uh, describes it as a kind of symbiotic sort of relationship where it's a, you know, there's a kind of um, mutual feed really. Um, so the narcissist is looking for supply and then the codependent personality is quite eager to provide that supply because the codependent receives self-esteem from supplying the narcissist. Mm, mm. Um, so, so in that sense, there's a, uh, there's a longevity of the relationship and that's why, uh, the narcissist will, let's say, continue to be attracted to, yeah. the, codepend to the codependent. Okay. And now that we are talking about codependence and you a little bit 
kind of gave some hints, but can you briefly um, the term? Can you describe the term? I mean, what yeah. is codependent? Yeah, I think you know the best way to think about it is is like when we're a, when we're a child, um, if we're in in a family of uh, adverse where adverse uh, experiences occur, um, we adapt to a child will adapt to those adverse experiences and the adaptation for the codependent child is um is to meet the parents needs in order to gain their self-esteem and validation so you know if the parent is toxic to some degree the child will find ways of pleasing the parent doing things for the parent being hyper vigilant of the parent's behavior so they learn to meet the needs of the parent um and please become a, a people pleaser generally because you know that relationship is then extrapolated out into other relationships mm. um so the codependent will classically be a, a kind of people pleaser uh try to avoid conflict and the re so the reason that they're doing that is to obtain their self-esteem through the relationship pleasing and and supplying the other uh with whatever the other requires and hence the sort of the attraction with the narcissist Mm, yeah, I was like, like just now that you described what codependent actually is, if like it helps you understand better why the relationship that a codependent would have with a narcissist, like if they actually derive their self-esteem from giving supply for a narcissist, the narcissist is all about getting as much su- supply as possible. Yeah, and the the I guess the other thing to add, I guess, is the is the. Um is the you know the repetition compulsion uh so freud described the repetition compulsion as a kind of a familiarity so we're we're attracted to uh familiarities in adult relationships um and most of my uh the people that i work with often have a narcissistic who are in relationship with a narcissistic adult often have had a narcissistic parent Mm. um so so there's the familiarity um which is is creates a sense of a false sense of safety um but also the unconscious desire for the for the narcissist to heal the wound that was created by the original narcissist which is the parent so there's an unconscious desire in the codependent in relation with the narcissist to um to heal themselves through that relationship so all the time they are supplying there's you know maybe a conscious or unconscious but i think it's mostly unconscious desire to um for eventually the hope is that the narcissist will finally uh, validate love etc etc the codependent which will then eradicate the wound from the original uh parental the, the parental narcissistic wound mm, so let me let me like oh I need to clarify or ask for clarification. Are you saying that the narcissist is in the like they have the unconscious? No, the code, the code, the, the codependent has. Yeah, yeah, the codependent will be unconsciously desiring the narcissist adult in the adult relationship to finally love them, to provide um... to provide them with the validation, love, attunement, mm. care, etc., which um, wasn't available within the narcissistic parental relationship okay okay yeah yeah. and that that's that's part of the unconscious reason why those relationships last so long right yeah okay now now it makes sense 
because often these marriages, relationships last 10, 20, 30 years, you know. Um, <laughs> Long time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, now it, now it made us. Sorry, first, maybe yeah. I used the wrong language. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Thank you. Uh, then the question number two. What are some common family dynamics that I should be on the lookout for to determine whether or not my sibling is a narcissist? Oh, I guess fundamentally, if you're looking, uh, you're looking for traits of uh, narcissism within your within your sibling, you would be looking at the the more general, you know, traits of desire to control, manipulate. Um, uh, devalue, etc., etc. Um, but I guess the classic family structure with a, you know, often there's a, a narcissistic and a codependent sibling. I mean, that's very common, right? And that's common because um, I think adults, parents who are who are, um, let's say, damaged to a, to a significant degree, will will split. Um, so, you know, one child will be adored and the other child will be, uh, revered. Um, and I, I, I don't know if this is totally accurate, but this is my understanding sort of psychoanalytically of, of, of the dynamics is that, you know, like we have love and hate for our, for our people that we're in relationship with hopefully most of the time it's love but there's hate that runs along runs alongside it especially if you've been married like 20 30 years perhaps um <laughs> not speaking from experience of course um and uh and you know like in a healthy adult like you know there's a kind of capacity to balance the love and the hate so you know like it doesn't get out of control you know there's mm -hmm. a sort of acknowledgement that you know sometimes you know you're gonna uh, I mean, hate's a strong word, but um, you know that's the you know you're going to dislike and you're going to be angry with your mm. partner or your children or you know. But most of the time, you love them, and mm. so there's a sort of acceptance that you know you can love and hate at the same time. That it doesn't get like kind of uh, projected into in, into um, only one or the other, right? Where yeah. if you're a damaged adult, you often project um, adoration and love into into one person and hate into another mm. and I, I think why that happens is because what it does is it justifies it justifies the the parents actions so they can say well yeah like you know I love like Johnny because he's amazing but like you know she's a real pain in the neck so you know I, I you know she needs uh, or he needs um, uh, constant chastising because he's a really difficult child right mm. So in them, in, in, in the narcissistic parent's mind or the damaged parent's mind, um, that becomes justified because the problem is external because, you know, the narcissist yeah. can't take any, any responsibility. But getting back to the question, because I realize I've quite, I've digressed quite a bit, um, <laughs> is, uh, is that, so yeah, so you'll have the golden child and you'll have the scapegoat. Mm. I think there's some other characters in there, but let's just keep it to those two. Um, and so in answer to the person's question, you know, I would imagine the person that answered the ask this question was the codependent and or, you know, or, or not a narcissist. Um, and, you know, they might 
be able to think about their childhood experiences and they might be able to think okay like was i the scapegoat was or was my sibling the uh the golden child now often often the scapegoat becomes the codependent and the golden child becomes the narcissist mm. yeah yeah um so i think they're the things maybe uh the per people can look out for within the, the family dynamics if that answers the question yeah yeah and just to sum up like first you said that look for the kind of the general traits of narcissism are they manipulative devaluing controlling um you know stuff like that and then add on to can you identify is there this kind of divide between a golden child and scapegoat and yeah and then if you are already kind of adult and not anymore living in the family system you could maybe like see is the scapegoat person maybe more like kind of codependent and then the golden child are they like highly narcissistic or even like narcissist yeah yeah okay yeah, exactly makes well sense summarized, Julian. <laughs> yeah. thank you uh then the question number three I have a narcissistic husband who I can't leave at the moment because of financial abuse. I'm working on getting back on my feet, but in the meantime, how can I support my child? I heard narcissism can be passed down. How can I be a healthy parental mirror for my child? How can I protect her development from her narcissistic father? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... um I'm not sure if uh, narcissism is passed down like genetically, but yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like we've just said in a way, if, if the narcissistic parent, um, uh, you know, if that, if the child becomes the golden child for the narcissist, then, um, you know, that could potentially, uh, create difficulties. So it can be passed down like environmentally. Mm. Um, it depends. The answer to the question is rather sort of age dependent because I'd sort of answer it slightly differently depending on the child's age. Um, you know, if you're talking younger, well, anyway, let's, I'll do a general answer and then I'll think, think about um, the age differences. But generally speaking, um, the narcissistic parent will attempt to parental alienate the, uh, the child, um, even if, you know, they're living together. Um, because if there is ever a time where divorce comes along, um, or separation, the child would have aligned themselves to the narcissist. Um, so the child will align themselves to the narcissist through fear, um, because the narcissist's love is uh, is conditional. Um, so the child will learn that you know if I disappoint mummy or daddy, then you know I'm not going to get their love. So. Um, they're more likely to uh, project their angry feelings into the non-narcissistic parent. Partly, well, mainly because the the narcissistic parent has created a dynamic which the child then believes that the non-narcissistic parent is the problem. Mm. So the person that asked the question will be uh, receiving, I would imagine, you know, lots of negative behaviors, communications from the child attacking the non-narcissistic parent because of the sort of colonization in a way by the narcissistic parent against against the other parent um, so what that parent has to work really hard to do is not to um, is not to actually become the 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 thing 
that the uh, that the that the narcissistic parent has created mm. in the mind of the child. So you know, like the image of the of the of the parent is that this you know that other parent's crazy because the, the narcissist has told the child that you know mum's crazy or um, dad's crazy and you know watch out for this, watch out for that. You know they normally do that. Um, so when the child is like communicating sort of in a way to the to that to that parent that taps into that parent's vulnerabilities it is tempting for that parent to act that out by becoming that actual image of of what the narcissist has created so getting angry back towards the child or becoming very erratic inconsistent etc etc so so then the child thinks right you know dad's right or mum's right and aligns even further to the narcissistic parent so what's really important for that parent to do is Firstly, like not take the projections personally. I know it's easier said than done, but um, obviously the parent has to recognise that the child is act is communicating, at least partially based on 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 that parentally parental alienated sort of dynamic. Mm. So it's not it's not you know it's not they're not actually like they don't actually experience that parent in that way, but they're doing it as a way of pleasing the narcissistic parent and also. It's easier for the child to, ha in terms of what we, the splitting, it's easier for the child to locate one parent as good and one parent as bad. It's impossible for the child to manage the, you know, manage both parents as potentially good and bad when one parent is like, has been sort of, uh, you know, pushing a, a kind of hard message into the child for a long time. Um, because that then means that he's going against that parent and it's just too much to manage. And then they're in a, like what's called a double bind where, you know, if they, if they relate to the non-narcissistic parent, they're, um, you know, the narcissistic parent's going to be angry. And if they do the, the other way around, so they're in a double bind. That's like the worst case scenario for a child's mind. Yeah. So they're, they're more likely to align with that parent. So, so the pet, the parent, um, in this case has to remain like really adult, really solid, really consistent, um, just constantly present as a healthy, calm, loving, uh, etc. parent um, under the duress of, you know, narcissistic attacks from the, uh, from the yeah. narcissistic parent and uh, vicariously through, through the child. Um, so you're really working hard at just being consistent, not, not also criticizing the narcissistic parent because then that in the child's mind then they she be, or that parent becomes as bad as the other parent so so mm. so they have to demonstrate a greater level of maturity as the child gets older generally i mean it's, there are variations to this but generally the the child can become conscious of what's been going on and if that parent has spent the previous five years being adult because it's not a quick fix right this is a long drawn out process because you have to wait for the child to become conscious enough to work out what's been happening right and that's normally not until late adolescence uh, in my experience um and so that that parent has to be consistent positive um all those things for a long period of time and wait for the child to become aware of, of, of what's been happening. 
Yeah, thank you so much. And I think it's, um, like you said, easier said than done, and it's not a quick fix, and that's a like very, very hard thing to do at the same time when you are receiving probably abuse from the non, uh, I mean, narcissistic parent like towards you at the same time, not just the parental alienation thing going on. So, yeah. Oh my uh, God! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I mean it's 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 a really really difficult thing to yeah, do. Yeah, really but, really difficult. But and, I think and also mm, for them to seek therapy, right? Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. for that for that that parent to you know have a therapeutic support with somebody that you know knows knows uh, about this subject because um, that can be really useful. You know. Um, yeah. It was very important what you said that. Uh, because the narcissistic parents love is co un uh, conditional and your as a healthy parent your love to your child is like not uh it's unconditional did i say yeah. the words right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah then the way i like to think about it is that okay the child feels secure enough with me to kind of uh you know project their anger towards me yeah. to Rebel, yeah. rebel against me because they know that subconsciously they know that I won't go away but yeah. they are yeah. afraid turning against the narcissistic parent just like you said because love is conditional yeah absolutely that's a really good point um yeah the safety of uh <clears throat> the child enables that 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 negative projection into the non-narcissistic parent for sure and I think when I say it's a it's a time frame of the child becoming conscious i think it's like you, you know it's them becoming conscious of the conditionality of the love actually mm. you know they they work out at some point that oh dad only loves me or mum only loves me when um when i do that or yeah. you know if i do that and you know that that generally does happen sometimes it doesn't it doesn't happen in my experience again i've only got you know my experience to go by but it doesn't happen when the parent either becomes the crazy parent that the narcissist mm. has described yeah. or um uh or the the level of uh the level of uh, i don't know colonization that the narcissist has done on the child from a very young age has been like just colossal so it's just been impossible for that child to to yeah if but if the parent has got like a good relationship with the child and the child's like ten, should be should be should be fine, right? Yeah, and I I think don't you think that that doesn't happen also if the narcissistic parent has been able to, um, like that the child becomes themselves a narcissist or narcissistic. Sorry, say that again. That if the child themselves becomes a narcissist <laughs> or not yeah. very very narcissistic. Yeah, that can make it that can make it very difficult as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think if if the if the parent if the narcissistic parent has done that work, you know, like I said, overwhelmingly from a young age, there's more chance mm. of the child to become narcissistic, um, and and uh, and therefore, yeah, have it it become very difficult for for the for the non-narcissistic parent to actually relate to the child and love the child in the end actually like you know that, that that parent can actually reject that child eventually because of the level of uh the level of attack i've seen that a few times sometimes when the parent does reject the child they come back actually it's a bit it's one of those sort of uh paradoxical dynamics in my experience 
because it's like all the time you're accepting the narcissistic attack the child never has a boundary put up against their behavior mm. right so sometimes i've seen parents reject not like out and out reject but just create like if there's a if the child's developing real narcissistic traits and constantly attacking the non-narcissistic parent i've seen it a couple of times where the parent has created extremely strong boundaries Mm. extremely strong boundaries which the child spends you know some time smashing up against yeah. but eventually eventually there's some softening that allows the relationship to connect yeah i guess i don't know but to me what came to my mind from what you just said that kind of their very extremely strong boundary is kind of a wake-up call to them and when they are mashing against it and they realize that they can't get through and maybe makes them i don't know because they still probably have love towards the parent and maybe makes them yeah. take a look like about their own behavior and maybe then realize something because yeah, other think... otherwise they would like have to deal with the loss of that parent and yeah yeah Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we I think we're talking sort of mid late teens sort of stuff. And so, yeah, the the realization that actually mum or or dad um isn't taking this anymore and actually that it it starts to starts to I mean, you can say that in any family dynamic really, but this is just a very extreme situation, but we um but yeah, the 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 potential of loss that that child will experience in that moment actually yeah can can create some capacity for reflection. Yeah, interesting points and things. Um then the next question. What exactly is a narcissistic injury? Can you explain to me what it is and why it's so one and why it is so destabilizing for a narcissist? Okay, yeah, so um so a, a narcissistic injury is um you know, we all experience narcissistic injuries during our life. You know, it's like I don't know if you get um uh, rejected from a job interview or um or your uh boyfriend or partner rejects you, the ending of a relationship, loss um of, of an abandonment of some some kind. You know, they're all you know, narcissism is our is our self-esteem at some some level healthy narcissism is our self-esteem is our ego is our self to some some degree you know um and so yeah any any negative experience is experienced by us generally as a narcissistic wound or injury and you know actually like ordinary non pathologically narcissistic individuals with a narcissistic wound can then actually behave narcissistically for a period of time right so you might see somebody you know have a significant loss for example and that injury will um ignite narcissistic behavior as a defense against the wound yeah mm. so the pain from the wound means that that person has to go into like controlling manipulating devaluing other people etc as a way of like coping with the wound right but that yeah. will be like momentarily so that will be like for a few months or you know and then they'll as the wound heals the uh, the person goes back to their original sort of state um but with uh, with the narcissist of course um there isn't really the self esteem 
or the sort of uh, the, the the substance underpinning uh, their internal world. Um, I know that's a bit jargonistic, and uh, just trying to find some better language for that, really. But um, you know, there's an emptiness to the narcissist. Mm-hmm. There's 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 a lack. There's a lack um, of substance. Uh, their internal world is. Uh, manifested itself with, with within shame, really. Uh, so once the defences are, so the shame has been put there by their own experience of parent being parented, you know. So the the de- developmentally they've created very significant defence mechanisms um, to defend against that shame, and the defence mechanisms are actually what you see acted out in control, manipulation, and, um, all the rest of it. Um, so, um, so you can imagine, therefore, that when there's a narcissistic wound to the narcissist, so the the partner rejects the narcissist, or the uh, somebody is, is becomes superior to the narcissist, or threatens the narcissist in whatever way. Um, the reaction is um, supreme. You know, it's rage. Um, it can be, you know, rage, violence, or paradoxically suicide, suicidal ideation, um, because that wound has got through the defences and the shame is activated. Mm. I mean, it may be more complex than that, but that's, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, I think, the nub of it. And um, so once that shame is activated and the rage... Uh, the rage comes along as a way of defending against the wound, trying to t- trying to regain control, or there's a kind of complete breakdown. Um, there's a complete disintegration of the personality, and um, uh, because obviously there's not much to break down, but the you know the wound has the wound has kind of got through, and there's a there's a disintegration of the the sort of personality, the identity, the person's identity, and that can lead to yeah, like. Um, a kind of regression into an inf- more of an infantile state, an infantile, um, you know, I've worked with people where like the, they've rejected the narcissist mm. and there's a, there's a breakdown and the, there's a regression into more of an infantile state whereby they become very like clingy to the, uh, to the, to the partner. Yeah. The rejecting partner, suicidal, um, Etc. Etc. So, uh, so yeah, that would um, that would be the the narcissistic injury to the narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. You you had one term there that I would like want to do. Can you again like clarify it? You said disintegration of personality. That was interesting yeah, so one. Can you like explain it? That was just sort of like fancy language. I've got no <laughs> idea what that means at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so, I'll try and I'll try and articulate it. I suppose it's like you know, like so we have our we have our identity, don't we? Like you know, uh-huh. you know, I am Nick. I am the psychotherapist. I am a husband and a father. Mm. Um, and uh, or you know, we have an image of ourselves that we are. Uh, we're one. You know, the, well, the narcissist would have a, a an understand an image of themselves as like amazing and wonderful, yeah, and like etc. Uh, etc. Et so. Um, once that, when that's when that there's a wound, so mm-hmm. there's a, such a high level wound of rejection of of, the, of that person, 
the whole, all those constructs, because they're like, I don't know, it's like, let's say, it, it, it's like a sort of, um, it's like one of those uh, matchstick things, yeah? Like, yeah. you know, where you build like little frameworks of matchsticks. Yeah. Well, that's, you could use that metaphorically as the internal world of the narcissist. But once there's a wound, like the matchsticks just sort of collapse, right? There's a, uh, there's, um, the image just is, is broken in that moment. I guess it's a bit like the, uh, it's a bit like, uh, the, the myth of narcissist when he's looking in the, in, in, adoringly, and no, it doesn't really fit that metaphor actually, but, um, but you know, yeah, there's, uh, there's a collapse. There's a, then maybe they're in touch with the emptiness in that moment. Yeah. Mm. All their constructs, their images of themselves uh, fade away. And, and that's what leads to the suicidal ideation and the breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Does that you. make sense? Yeah. It makes, makes, uh, and that like, if we think about that, try to think about yourself that you are like the way you have constructed yourself is out of very materialistic and trivial aspects of life, let's say, because I am in this uh, social status or because mm -hmm. I am looking like this, I'm beautiful or I'm very handsome and I'm very mm -hmm. fit person and that's mm -hmm. kind of, or I have this amount of money and there is like no any other kind of characteristics that you could say oh that's part of my personality like you can't say that I'm a kind or I am compassionate or you know some some other other things and then you get that wound from like it could be like very small like someone just criticizes you and then like you said it goes through the wound goes through that disintegration of per personality happens <laughs> everything just collapses then the shame triggers all I mean, the emptiness. Yeah, that would have to be a you know for that to happen. That would have to be obviously a very significant wound. You know, um, like a like a, a like a rejection from a from a long term partner, right? Uh, you for, think for, you think like it doesn't have like it has to be in, uh, like significant. It, like for example, for the, for, just for the for the for the disintegration, not for the wound. But for the, yeah, 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 yeah. They wouldn't disintegrate, or the personality wouldn't, you know, disintegrate. Or, okay, but they would um, still experience the injury, and then the way they would behave, it would then like manifest itself as their rage or blaming the other person, attacking the person who criticized you. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. there's different levels of wound, isn't there, for for, yeah. for all of us? You know, there might be the criticism, there might be the. Uh, threatened by somebody else in competition and then there might be yeah. like uh the the ultimate rejection from the partner right so yeah. so yeah the the general reactions would be yeah rage um uh, upset a, a kind of a, a kind of increase in the narcissistic behaviors you know like mm. an increase in control an increase in manipulation an increase in threat to the other who's who's challenged who's wounded them right like Nick said, there are different levels of wound for all of us. And when talking about narcissism, the most significant wounds might even cause the disintegration of personality. But have you ever thought, what are some of the most common events that might trigger the biggest narcissistic injuries? In our article, What Causes the Biggest Narcissistic Injuries? We wrote that the biggest narcissistic injuries occur when a narcissist doesn't get enough narcissistic supply, 
When this happens, the emotional stability of a narcissist is compromised because they are forced to acknowledge the painful thoughts, feelings and emotions that they use narcissistic supply to suppress. In this article, we explain the reason that a lack of narcissistic supply causes the biggest narcissistic injuries and give you seven scenarios of a narcissist experiencing a big narcissistic injury. The inspiration for these seven events came from a survey we conducted among 200 survivors of narcissistic abuse to learn about the most common events that trigger the biggest narcissistic injuries. Make sure to read the article if you are interested in learning more about narcissistic injuries and our survey. The link to the article is in the podcast notes. Um, but then, yeah, if you get to the ultimate like collapse of a job or collapse of a kind of relationship or rejection on that level, then you'd that's when you'd see the more of the the, the, the personality sort of uh, uh, disintegrating a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, now I get it. Yeah, and then if he well, let's say then then this uh, narcissist, they do experience this narcissistic injury, and then you if you think about their childhood or however their narcissism in the first place developed, they don't then have the, you know, the healthy emotional regulation skills like healthy people do like 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 you said we all experience narcissistic injuries but we don't all uh have a narcissistic rage <laughs> when we do have this wound we are able to kind of either use journaling go for like a run because we are a little bit of course it's hurt for example to um, i don't know like you have been working on a school or work project for a long time and it then someone just says that it's not good for example that of course could hurt you but then you don't rage but you are able to use these emotional skills that you have but then narcissist they don't have those skills and that's why they rely on the on their way of working through those emotions which is very narcissistic and unhealthy and doesn't really make them grow as a person <laughs> like at all yeah yeah ex exactly and, and ironically i read something yesterday about um by adam phillips who's a really good psych well he's the best sort of uk psychoanalytic sort of uh author and uh psychoanalyst in, in the uk um but he he said something like um it's actually like the narcissistic wound and the narcissistic breakdown that can actually lead to the cure so when so you know when um when that breakdown occurs because you know there's generally the idea of the breakdown and the breakthrough yeah so sometimes people need to break down um because of whatever they've been repressing or whether whatever they've been hiding or struggling with or not talking about it kind of gets too much they have a breakdown but when you process when, if somebody processes what's happened and they work through the breakdown when they come out the other side they've actually had a breakthrough so they're like um they're in a healthier place than when they than prior to the breakdown right mm. now with the narcissistic breakdown it's 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 the same maybe but it's just more extreme it's more of an extreme um collapse let's let's say and you know what adam phillips was saying was that if i interpreted it correctly is that that can be the catalyst for change so so you know um because in that process the narcissist's um, sense of omnipotence, so their, their, their image, their omnipotent image, 
collapses, right? Mm. So in that moment, in that breakdown, they realize they're not who they thought they were. Now, I think that is, you know, I think that's general. I think that happens generally. But I, I guess, again, with the narcissist, it's going to be more extreme. Yeah. And so there is, I think, maybe a moment of potential change there, right? Yeah. I mean, if they can access psychotherapy and, and do the work, you know, but, you know, most people, I mean, Carl Jung said, you know, it's the most, it's the most, uh, it's the scariest experience in, in, in a person's life when they look in the mirror and finally realize that they're not who they thought they were, you know, yeah. and Carl Jung was the master at uh, the midlife crisis, right? So his research was all into, into the, into the midlife stages. So, so yeah, like, most people that are waking up are waking up around 40, 50. Great. If they, yeah. if they decide to wake up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I think now we have a clearer p picture of what is a narcissistic injury and why they are so destabilizing. Okay. Then, then the question number five is, why is it so common for a codependent to stay in a narcissistic relationship for so long? Yeah, um, so sort of answered that in the first question, but it really does come back to, you know, that, um, that uh, symbiotic relationship and the, the ultimate unconscious desire for the wound to be healed, uh, the original wound to be healed through that narcissistic relationship. Um, and, and, you know, because um, because it fits, doesn't it? it fit. There's a, there's a, you know, if you had two bits of a puzzle, the narc and the co would um, would fit quite quite nicely, you know. And um, and you know that mutual feed just does does continue can continue and does continue for many many years. Um, and no, I guess I guess because the codependent, like somebody with a, a I mean, and it doesn't have to be a codependent, by the way. There are people that are non-codependents that stay in relationships from last, perhaps shorter, shorter time, of course. But, um, but I think that does come down to sort of self-esteem, really. Um, because if you're with a, with, if a narc tries their, their tactics with somebody that has good self-esteem, very quickly that person will draw boundaries and uh, let the narcissist know that actually like that, that's not going to work. Mm. They're not going to do that or they're not going to be controlled in that way. Or, um, you know, if you turn up late, like more than once, then like, you know, don't bother trying again. Um, where the codependent will be like, Oh no, that's fine. That's fine. Like, you know, turn up late 20 times in two weeks. That's absolutely fine. Um, so, you know, um, there's there's a lack of self-esteem which manifests in the longevity of the relationship really so the the um, the ultimate cure for the for the for the codependent and getting out of that relationship is is, is growing their self-esteem mm. yeah makes sense I can see that why then a codependent would would stay stay for so long uh, yeah, and the narcissist dreamweaves, don't they? You know, they set the dream up. There's the there's the trauma bonding as well. Yeah. So you know, the codependent will be 
you know fixated on the on the original love bombing phase um etc so there's there's other there's other reasons but ultimately a non-codependent person would evacuate the relationship quicker mm, because okay. of higher self-esteem I, i think that was probably the nutshell answer yeah okay yeah okay thank you uh today we had some great questions and great answers so i want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and thank you so much nick for coming to this episode and answering all these questions thanks juliana pleasure If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.